Hello, and welcome to Not a Couple, a Will and Grace podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm Tess. And this week we are covering season four, episodes nine and ten. Movable Feast is our Thanksgiving episode this week. Yay! We're only a few weeks behind real Thanksgiving. Yay! Yay. Uh, so as we mentioned, this is a double episode. This is technically episodes nine and ten of Will and Grace season four. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a fun one, so let's just jump right into it. We've got a lot to talk about. Yes. Uh, all right. Here's the description from the DVD set. Rather than be apart on Thanksgiving Day, Will, Grace, Jack, and Karen go for a festive holiday motor tour of their respective dysfunctional families, including Grace's domineering mother, guest star Debbie Reynolds, as well as Will's willful mom, guest star Blythe Danner, and Jack's stepdad, guest star Bo Bridges, with unsettling results in a special hour-long episode. Ooh, boy. I guess I didn't realize that uh, Jack's dad was also a guest star that was famous. I guess that makes sense. I recognize the name Bo Bridges, but not where that's from. Me either. I think he's probably too old for us. And also, I'm yay. That probably has something to do with it. Maybe he was like a sports guy. It did seem sporty. He seemed like he might have been Sporty Spice. So this episode has actually kind of got a fun, interesting start that's going to kind of like reflect in how we do this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts with this fun montage where everyone is like in picture in picture and they're yes. on the phone and they're doing the whole <laughs> thing where they like take turns like saying like, okay, I'm going to put you on hold and talk to so-and-so. Oh my God. It's so funny because there's also a bit the whole time where there is this person who's trained... It's like a drag queen who's trying to share gossip with Jack. Mm-hmm. And Jack puts the queen on hold. And so you continue to see the queen in the picture in picture. <laughs> but Jack never picks the line back up. So, like, this whole time, like, they're they're putting their face on and their wig on and their dress on. And all mm-hmm. this planning is going on that he's not a part of. And it's very funny. And then there's one point where, like, the doorbell rings and, like, the drag queen yells, like, Mother! Don't! I'm on hold! And it's, it's just very funny. It's just a fun, weird setup. It really sets the tone for a very different episode of Will and Grace than we're used to. Yeah, it's like, it's not frantic, but it is kind of like a controlled chaos. It feels like the opening to a movie, almost. Yes. Like, the credit, like the credits are rolling, literally. But yes. I mean, like, you know, like a movie credit sequence where it's like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Probably a reference to something that we're too dumb and stupid to recognize. But I mean, like, it's it's a common trope. Like, you know, you've seen it before, for sure. Yeah, it was really cool. So essentially, uh, they do this whole thing to organize what their plan for Thanksgiving is. Yes. Because Will and Grace decided that they're going to host a Thanksgiving for the four of them. Because it's their family. Because it's their family. But then, somehow, they all end up having to go to all their family's Thanksgivings anyways. And I, I mean, Like, we can relate to this. I mean, like, we, we're literally having, like, our, like, Thanksgiving this weekend because we didn't have the ability to have it before Thanksgiving or after Thanksgiving yeah, because of like work and family stuff. Admittedly, this episode made me really grateful for my own Thanksgiving because it made it seem a lot less hectic. Agreed. Like I was like, whoo, that was relaxing. Like there's so much stuff in this episode that we don't really even have any time to talk about our comparatively boring Thanksgivings. Yes. Like we just like went to family and it was did family stuff. A lot more chill than this. Yeah. Okay, so let's jump into it. Okay, so what we're going to do this week is we're going to talk about each character uh, one at a time, because the episode kind of does this. It cycles through, you know, each Thanksgiving one at a time. Yes. So we're going to start with our first stop, and it's with Karen, and it's at prison. Yes, so she's... Go. Yes, so Karen stops at the prison to visit Stan, because it's Thanksgiving. She brings him a turkey with a surprise inside. It's a chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think it's fun that the show is still getting a lot of play out of this Stan in prison storyline. Yes. Um... 
And also, the standing prison storyline is kind of the first, like, test of the deliberate narrative constraint the characters place on themselves. Yeah, so essentially they have a timer that they set for an hour. Mm -hmm. And so the plan is, as soon as the timer dings, they have to go. Right. And it actually gets subverted a lot faster than I expected, Mm -hmm. because... Um, Karen comes back after like 20 minutes and everyone's like, what the fuck, Karen? You like, still have 40 minutes on the timer. But it turns out that Stan has asked her to sleep with other people while he's in prison because he thinks he's going away for a long time. Yeah, he says something to the effect that he wants Karen to be sexually satisfied while he's away. Which and... is funny because she's never been sexually satisfied when he's not away, but whatever. Exactly. And so Karen kind of goes through, like, I almost want to call it the stages of grief about this. <laughs> because at first she's hugely offended. She mm-hmm. just can't believe he would suggest it. And then as we see her cycle through the rest of Thanksgiving, she's considering the idea. And then it eventually culminates at Will's Thanksgiving where she, like, makes out with a plumber played by Nick Offerman. Oh, I'm so excited that Nick Offerman is finally on the show. Yes. Yeah, so for those of you who maybe aren't aware because, I don't know, you live under a rock or something, Nick Offerman of Parks and Rec fame is uh, Megan Mullally's actual IRL husband. Mm-hmm. And so their chemistry is real. Yes. And it's it's great because Nick Offerman has this kind of like rustic manly man thing. And they have him cast as this plumber. Who's, who's like... Who's rip- like, literally she's describing like, I want someone to come in like out of a romance novel, you know. To, yeah. To come in and fix the pipes or she, something. She like literally describes like she wants like a stupid brute who's yes. like... Good to look at, not good to hold a conversation with. And in walks a plumber who's just her dream man. And she's like literally like her mouth is watering. <laughs> like you can see her trying not to drool. I think the funny thing about this episode too is just that like they are dating at this point. Like this yes. isn't how they meet. But like they're still in a very new, very young relationship. Mm-hmm. And first of all, I'm sure for Nick Offerman this is a great career bump to be on Will and Grace. But right. also like Nick Offerman also didn't know that Megan Mullally was on Will and Grace when they met because he didn't have a TV. Yes, I think they met when they were doing a play and a Mm -hmm. lot of the other cast of the play was really intimidated to talk to her because, you know, she's this, like, TV star. Right. And Nick Offerman, who was probably just broke, like, didn't have a television, so he was like, (laughs) I don't know who you are. Right. And asked her out, and they fell in love, and it's magical, and they have a lovely marriage, and if they ever break up, I will slit my wrist. Like. Um, so sad. One time Matthew and I saw them like do like a show together mm-hmm. and it was amazing. It was a spiritual experience. Um, I still can't find a video of the song that they claim is their wedding vows. Meow, 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 meow. Cats that do murder. It's the weirdest fucking song that I've ever heard and I can't find a YouTube clip of if it. If you know it, listeners, please, please share it with us. Please, if you have any audio visual clips of this song. Or like if it's in a Netflix special and we don't know about like, it. literally people think that we're crazy because we've tried to tell several people about this and they're like, I, I can't find that. Like, if we can learn the lyrics, we'll tell people that it's our wedding vows instead. So please help us make this joke funnier by allowing <laughs> us to steal it from the Malali Offermans. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Also, as a side note, on the day that we're recording this, December 12th, it's Matthew and I's anniversary. Aw, how cute. If we had remained heterosexual, we would have been dating for 11 years today. Well, we couldn't remain heterosexual because, as we all know, Tess is a liar and it was all a lie and she was bisexual the whole time. If we had remained presumed heterosexuals, because not that Matthew wasn't lying or anything. I, I wasn't lying. I was delusional. There's a difference. You knew. Meow, 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 cats that do murder. So Nick Offerman is a delightful part of this episode. Um, but he's really just kind of like the the punchline, you know? I yes. mean, like, the real meat of it is just this fun back and forth that Karen has where she's like, 
wrestling with like being the like depraved sexual creature that she always pretends to be. Because right. I think that's one of the funniest things about Karen's character mm-hmm. is that for all of her like bluster about like wanting, you know, I want to tap that ass, like, oh, those boobs are great. I'm going to slap you, pinch you. You know what I mean? Right. Like, she never actually acts on any of it. Yeah, she's she states it pretty clearly in the car. She's a one woman man, right? Try that again. She's a one man <laughs> woman. Right. And, like, she's very monogamous and pretty happy and satisfied in her marriage. And also, like, legitimately kind of, like, weirdly turned on by how gross Stan is. Yes. Like, she seems to genuinely just delight in his in his grotesqueness. Yes. And, I mean, like, go for it, lady. Like, hey, I mean, the Carnivalesque was a hit in the 1700s, right? Right. Exactly. I mean, it just, it's adorable. It hits Karen at all the right beats. She kind of is just, like... She's herself in a very not-herself way this week. I mm-hmm. think that's why her plotline is so interesting. It's also threaded through the best. Yes. All three of the other characters we see kind of have their drama self-contained yes. within. Karen is the runner that bumps through all three other yeah, Thanksgivings. Yeah, and I think that that's a very good choice because mm-hmm. Karen's is, like, high stakes but in a low stakes way because it's Karen and we, you know, because it's things like we still never see Stan, so we're not super yes. invested in Stan. Yes, exactly. And, um, so that the end of Karen's plot is she returns to the prison because we kind of revisit all these Thanksgivings mm-hmm. on what is essentially the Will and Grace apology tour. Yes. Um, and Karen returns to the prison to tell Stan that, you know, she thought about it and she just doesn't want to sleep with other people. And it's it's really cute. And mm-hmm. then they're chatting through the glass because it's prison and have that conversation where earlier Karen had stuffed like had stuck her boobs on the glass and she's like okay but this time you put your boobs on the glass <laughs> and it's funny it's a happy ending for it's everyone it's a happy ending for everyone because even though Stan's still in prison they aren't gonna cheat on each other yay let's get the timer and move on to Grace ding alright so Grace is going to visit her mother and this is so dramatic for such a dumb reason yes so Grace has a lot of issues that she could obviously have bring up with her mother. Mm-hmm. But instead of any of those, we're going back to Nathan. Yes, because apparently Nathan is the well that never runs dry. Yeah. Um, apparently, according to the writers, who are stupid, just like Grace, Grace has not told her mother that she's broken up with Nathan yet. Not because her mother likes Nathan, but because her mother will do, and I quote, the I told you so dance. I told you so. I told you so. It's not a good dance. No. It's not a good look for Debbie Reynolds either. It's not a good look for anybody. So essentially, Grace just doesn't want to prove her mother right. So she's lying. I get it. I mean, I mean I've been there. We've all been there. But so she's lying about the breakup with Nathan, which seems to just read really false to me. I just don't see how... I don't see how Grace thought that that was a good idea. You know, she should have just said it to her mother over the phone so that she could do the I told you so dance... You know. Right. Uh, at least she wasn't looking at her then, you know. Yeah. Like, that seems like a, hey, mommy and Nathan broke up, click kind of conversation. Right. I told you so. I told you Especially so. Especially because told, she told, doesn't want to so. deal with that. So, essentially, Thanksgiving, like, just, first of all, it starts with Grace, like, lecturing everyone, being like, don't mention Nathan, don't mention Nathan. Mm-hmm. And then Grace's mom is depressed because... She got passed over for a part in, like, the Schenectady Players production of... Queen Lear. Queen Lear. Queen Lear. She got passed over, and then... You may remember she was the lead in Death of a Saleswoman several months ago. Yes, and she's not even thinking about auditioning for The Ice Person Cometh. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> so uh, we get this whole don't mention Nathan in front of my mother. And then Debbie Reynolds is very depressed because she didn't get cast in Queen Lear. And Jack trying to cheer her up is like, at least Grace broke up with Nathan. <laughs> and, and it does cheer her up. It does cheer I mean, her like, up. That's the funniest part. She is perked up quite significantly after mm-hmm. that news. But then Grace just can't handle her mother's gloating about being right about Nathan, mm-hmm. which fair been there but responds by blowing up and telling her mother that she's not even a good actress yeah and then the timer dings and we have to leave right 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 the other thing that was weird about this is that i feel like out of all the thanksgivings this was like the least fully realized yeah like the thing they were kind of going for was like this was like the rural family like will's family is very hoity-toity and rich yeah jack's only visiting his stepdad who's in a hotel and Grace kind of has these, like, weird hick relatives, but they're also but not aren't they hick in, in any way. Aren't they in Brooklyn? Like, yeah, they're, not... they're in Schenectady. No, because they're visiting her Aunt Honey's apartment. You're right. They're, her Aunt Honey's in Brooklyn. I was going to yeah. say, something is wrong there. Um, so they're visiting her Aunt Honey, who's kind of a character. Like, yeah. she's probably the... Well, she and Julius, of course. Yeah. But I, we've met Julius, and he's fabulous We again. love Julius. But I feel like Aunt Honey was very underutilized. Yes. Like, the only thing that she, we really see her for... It's her telling Karen about how she threw her back out with some raucous lovemaking with the super, Mr. Lopez. Yeah. I feel like they were really trying to go for some sort of crossover of, like, New York Jewish, but also, like, Midwestern. It was weird. It just, it didn't really flow. It was like, do you not know what people are like? Right. Like, it felt very similar in a lot of ways to, like, Thanksgiving's I've experienced, where, yes. like, the family's sitting on the couch and no one's talking. Right. But then it had, like, the elements of, like, Grace's mom and Julius, which was a totally different class thing. And then, like, I don't even know where Aunt Honey was living. Just, like, in, you know. La La Land. La La Land, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it just, it felt like, not that all families are especially cohesive, but it felt like this family in particular was more of a group of neighbors. Yes. Like, I can see that, it, it for sure. It felt like just, like, a neighborhood get-together of, like, random people who all, like, lived in the same apartment block. Well, I think the other thing is, relatives. I think they wanted to show that there was one big Thanksgiving, but then they realized they didn't want all those characters to have lines, so they just sat there, you know? Yeah. Because all like, the other Thanksgivings are much smaller. Right, and we get, like, a quick introduction of all of these characters, but it's essentially, like, their names and what's wrong with them, and, like, that... Admittedly, that's very stereotypically Jewish, but... Right, and it's like, that was funny, but then, again, they don't really come up or talk after mm-hmm. that, so... Yeah. I don't know. I just felt like Grace's was like the least realized of all the Thanksgivings. It kind of felt half-baked. Well, and I think her apology to her is the least realized as well because... Oh, yeah. She like... She comes in and basically is like, Mom, I really don't like it when you do the I told you so dance. And Debbie Reynolds is like, okay, I won't do that because I love you. But then does it as soon as she's out of the room. Which like... Is, I guess, an improvement. I mean, like, that's that's probably the best she's going to get. But like... It just didn't feel like there was any actual development. Yeah, it didn't feel like their relationship grew in any way because it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like her being like, I'm not going to do this because you don't like it is all that much of a compromise. Right. Like, I'm just not going to do this in front of you, but I'm still going to do it. Yeah, that, I don't know. It just, it didn't feel good. And, like, Grace's apology itself seemed to be more, like, based upon, like, I was really angry with you and I said this, but I shouldn't have said it. But, like... Then, like, she, like, couches it and, like, let's come back to that later. Like, right, because, like, Debbie Reynolds is like, well, now you're going to say I can't even sing. Right. And she's like, let's not talk about that. Yeah. And it's just like, 
okay, then that's first of all, not an apology. And second of all, you're not getting one back. So also as like a very brief side note before we move on, I think the show kind of shoots itself in the foot here by casting Debbie Reynolds. Yes. Who is a wonderful actor and wonderful singer, but not talented enough to be bad at those things. Yes. You know what I mean? Like she kind of has to go for just being very over the top, which is not the same. Mm -hmm. And so like all of the bits were like, Grace critiques her on that feel very false. Yes. So, Debbie Reynolds, way to be amazing. Yeah. You're bringing this episode down. Ding! Ding. <laughs> Let's talk about Jack. So, uh, continuing the tradition of Jack having to deal with family members in a new and different way because of Elliot. Yes. We see him go to his stepdad's for Thanksgiving. Yes. Not explained very well. Yes, he's in town for reasons and staying in a hotel. I think part of it is that he wants to meet Elliot. So Possibly. Like, he's, but... Jack has kind of been guilted into it. Yes, but it wasn't really, like, properly explained. Like, I do remember being a little bit... Like, I remembered Elliot being in this episode, but I remember being a little bit surprised when they pick him up. Yes. So I was like, oh, wait, right, Elliot's in this episode. Like, I would have rather seen Elliot's family at Thanksgiving. Yes. That would have fascinated me. But they haven't cast them yet, Yes, so. and that's true. And <laughs> the show may not even be planning on casting them yet. So it... We'll see, I guess. I don't know. Um, at any rate, they're not going to Queen's... They're going to a hotel. Yes. And it's kind of awkward because, like, this is the one where, like, in Grace's, they're not super involved either. And obviously in Karen's, they're waiting in the car. But here they're, like, literally just sitting and watching a football game. Yeah, it's, like, a two-room hotel room. And so, like, Jack and Elliot and the stepdad are in the bedroom portion and everyone else is just watching TV. Yeah. This one was hard to understand just because Jack is so over the top. Yeah. I, I couldn't get a read on what the room situation was. Right. He um, makes it pretty clear that he thinks his stepdad was sort of like distant and shaming when he was growing up. Which checks with everything we know about Jack's stepdad. Right. Um, although I, I feel like don't we establish that Jack isn't sure whether his stepdad or his bio dad. I mean, obviously not his bio dad who's dead. But like. Isn't there some question about whether or not he thinks the stepdad is the real father for a while? Oh, yeah. When he was growing up, he wasn't aware that it was his stepdad. Right. Um, it seems like they're also a little bit, like, pretending like that wasn't a thing. Like, because he right. refers to him pretty explicitly as his stepdad. And I feel like if he, he had been raised by him thinking he was his dad, then he would have just called him dad. But maybe not because of the whole, like, distant and unapproachable thing. I don't know. Yeah. So it's really weird. But essentially, once we meet the stepdad... He seems very friendly, and yes. we're kind of struck by that sort of tropey, like, is this person being dramatic, or is this person secretly an asshole? Right. I think this plotline yeah. would have, if it was possible to have it be with Will or Grace or Karen, it would have worked better because they're more reliable narrators. Yes. They're all crazy, but I mean, like, Jack is known for having completely wrong takes on people. Yes. So it would not have surprised me if the plotline was basically like, this guy's really nice, Jack is just, you know crazy and like hasn't you know what I mean like it's all Jack's issue yeah so then we see the stepdad kind of bonding a little bit with Elliot like Mm -hmm. he gets Elliot a football and Elliot really likes it and Jack is like offended to see his stepdad sort of trying and connecting with Elliot in a way that he never did with Jack Mm -hmm. and on the one hand it seems like that might be simpler because it's through like more traditionally masculine means through sports but on the other hand it also seems like there's an entire like lack of trying that was happening on the stepdad's behalf all through Jack growing up. This episode finally comes into focus at the end during the apology tour when yes when first of all we realize that Jack isn't crazy because the stepdad admits to being a little bit more cold and distant yeah but it never really deals with the thing you just mentioned which is that like Elliot does, like, more traditionally masculine things. Like, mm-hmm. he he wants someone to throw the ball around with, you know? Right. Like, 
yes, his stepdad is trying harder. We can see that because he's warm from the beginning before he knows any of that. Mm-hmm. But also, like, Elliot is really responsive to that. Right. Um, not that Elliot isn't responsive to Jack, although as we see later in the series when they recontextualize his character, obviously it doesn't stick. Right. Um, so I, I think it's it's kind of ambiguous, and I don't think it's ambiguous in the way the creators want it to, to be ambiguous. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I found kind of difficult to swallow with this is that I feel like ever since, probably since this episode, the distant father reconnects with his gay son thing has kind of become a trope. Yes. And it's... It's always handled in this very similar way where they're like, oh, well, I'm a dirty man who liked manly things. And mm-hmm. you, when you were five, said that you were pregnant with George Michael's baby. La, la, la. <laughs> like, it's just like, it, it's this it's this casting of homosexuality in such a way that it's completely unintelligible to these yes. straight men. And then they, like, realize the error of their ways, but not until their son is well into their 30s. Right. And we're just all supposed to be cool with that. I definitely understand and agree with your critique of it on TV, but I think that this is maybe more truth in television than you feel. At least that's my experience and the experience that I've encountered with other people. I mean, even like guys I know who are straight, who are slightly less stereotypically masculine, don't necessarily have a great relationship with their fathers Mm -hmm. as a result of that. I think that's just a big cultural thing that is like finally starting to change in an appreciable way, Mm -hmm. really with like Gen X parents more than anything else. Right. Um, I think that's just, it's toxic masculinity ruining the party again, you know? Like, it's, there are so, there's such a locked-in version of what it means to be masculine that a lot of fathers of that generation and the generation after take up. Yeah. That I think it's, it's good to say, like, this is a tired trope, like, let's work against it. But I think it's, we're only feeling that way because it's finally stopping to be true. Yeah. On a regular basis in the environments that we interact with. Right. And I mean, it could just entirely be that I've just seen a lot of media repetition of the same sort of beats. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, okay, is there not a more interesting way to write this story? Like, isn't yes. there a little bit more nuance and like uniqueness that we can give to each of these stories? Because I feel like they all shouldn't be canned. It's like, oh, you didn't like football, so I didn't get along with you as right. a child. Well, and, and frankly, there's an argument for deliberately choosing to not depict a relationship the same way it's always been because it's truth in television. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's a benefit to media portraying a relationship that's more nuanced in an attempt to push that way. Oh, absolutely. I think that media has a really big responsibility to portray a lot more of, like, a forward-thinking and progressive Mm -hmm. message, especially on a a TV show like Will and Grace that's really pushing the envelope in the 2000s and also now in the revival. Yeah. So... I think that's one of the things that I do like about the revival is that we sort of see, like, Jack being the reverse of that trope when mm-hmm. we see Elliot try to send his son to conversion camp and Jack is like, I'm here to save the day, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not only pushing against that and telling his grandson that this is not an acceptable way for his dad to be behaving, but he also confronts Elliot about it. You know what? I think, actually, that's a really interesting thing to say because I think this episode can be a lot stronger if perhaps we hadn't been so fixated on, like, Jack's issues. I know, hard to believe. <laughs> but if, like, the... If Jack's stepfather was, like, saying something more like, look, like, I know I was being, like, cold and critical to you, but, like, I'm trying to help this kid out, and this is what this kid needs, and I think you need to be more open about opening yourself up to that. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. Like, if we'd actually had a very similar plot line to that, I would have been way more interested in it. That's a way more nuanced uh, portrayal there, because... I think Jack's stepfather is right to 
push back against that. I mean, it's not necessarily possible because of the way it's been set up. Like, he needs to mend that bridge with Jack first. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also not clear that Elliot's really not getting that from Jack. Yeah. Um, but I think that's an interesting idea that they could have played with. That would have mm-hmm. been more interesting. Yeah. So, for that's worth. Shall we move on? Ding! All right. So, our last stop is at Will's family. Um, the most waspy Thanksgiving that oh, there has ever been. Lord almighty, this drove me to drink. <laughs> um, I think it's it's so great because I think it's the least... It's probably the most cartoony of all of them. Like, even Grace's, which is very frustrating, is, like, closer to real life. Several versions of real life all jigsaw puzzled together. Yes. But, like, this is, like, a cartoon of, like, rich white people. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. It made me especially grateful that, at the very least, your family is Catholic. Yes. We are not wasps. We are wasps. <laughs> Hard to say. More Polish. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah. That was uncomfortable on a lot of levels. Well, just. I think it's it's just so interesting the way they framed it. I mean, like, Will is literally, like, giving them, like, okay, here are some code words that my mom might use. Like, my dad's business trip with his client. That's Don't like... mention having three clients at lunch. Like... Everyone will bug out. You know, client I mean, means mistress. Right. Like, um, and like, my, her his mom like being like, first of all, his mom is Blythe Danner, so good choice casting department. <laughs> but like, she comes down and is like, oh, was, I hope everyone is ready to change for dinner, and like, everyone just kind of is like, we're not, we're not doing that. Uh-huh. She's like, oh, good for you. You're gonna be comfortable. Yes, yes. Like everything is a is a barb, and everything is like multi layered, mm-hmm. and it's. The, the clo- Funny because it's ridiculous. I related to this a lot just because I've interacted with a lot of people who have fancier families than mine, mm-hmm. and being in those situations often results in question and like comments and questions like that. Like the most relatable experience I can think of, like that happened with us, was that time that I went to dinner to meet your nana. When oh we were yes. Dating in high school, and then after dinner was over, she told Matthew in front of me that she couldn't wait for him to go to Marquette University so that he could meet a nice Catholic girl. And I was like... I still can't believe that really happened. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> All right, Nana, you want to play? <laughs> but yeah, so it, it, it's, it's loaded barbs like that, where they're, they're, they're really, they're coated, and mm-hmm. they're they're wrapped in bubble wrap and dressed up nicely, yes. so you don't register really them mean. immediately. But when you get down to their Barbie rusty core they're yes. very painful and now you have tetanus well and the other thing is like the episode like really hinges like the, the conflict is that will and his brother are both trying to leave thanksgiving and leave mom by not by herself but with the other one yes and like they both realize at the same time they're like oh no like i'm not staying here you're staying here you know mm-hmm. like at least at the other thanksgivings like the person who's having the thanksgiving is someone well it's not really true either None of them really want to be with the person that they go to Thanksgiving with, except Karen and Stan. Yes. But it's to a, a new extreme in this household. Like, oh, it's man. it's like, like that's the reason that they have a timer, basically, is because Will knows that he's going to need to escape from this house. Yes. You know. Oh, my God. There's just, there's so much to be found in Will's family's Thanksgiving, including the bit where Jack is looking at something and Will's mother says, don't touch the wall, Jack. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, Jesus Christ. Um, but... <laughs> they have martinis though. Karen they have martinis because they're wasps, and you must drink at all waspy functions. Yes. 
Um, but yeah, so essentially it boils down to this bit where when Jack, not Jack, sorry, when Will and his brother are arguing over who gets to leave, they call the mom into it. Mm-hmm. And Will's brother's argument is, Will, you have to stay your mom's favorite. Right. And Will's argument is, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> like, he doesn't have a good counter argument. He's just like, I want to go to the Thanksgiving I planned. Well, and his counter argument is either fairly or unfairly kind of like you can't say you're going off with your family i'm going off with my family that's true and i mean there's definitely a a nuanced reading we could do of that Mm -hmm. Um, i'm not sure that's a super fair reading of his brother paul i think is his name yes um i I think that that wasn't what paul was saying explicitly but it might have been what paul was saying implicitly right like the assumption seems to be that paul is going off to spend time with his heteronormative like Mm-hmm. Like straight, not even his in-laws. Like, no, like his straight family, right? Possibly with like biological children and whatever. Right. Whereas Will wants to go off to be with his found family, mm-hmm. um, and so that's like a tension. And I feel like there could have been some more time spent with that because I thought that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, they call the mom into it to, to settle the dispute as to who has to stay, and she tells Will he can go, <laughs> which is like really messes Will up. He's just like, what? Like, that's the funniest thing for me. Is like everyone else, like goes to on their apology tour and gets more resolution, I feel like Will actually gets less. Yes. Like, so. I feel like Will is, like, should be, like, oh, my mom, like, really respects, like, what I need. Like, nope. I need to go. Nope, Will. And, and, like, just completely reverses it. Nope, Will just completely panics because he thinks he's not his mom's favorite. Yes. And while he's still grappling with this, the timer goes off, and they all rush out the door. Uh-huh. And so they get back to Will and Grace's apartment. Where, as a fun runner, Rosario has eaten half the turkey. And has hidden it with various... Vegetables. Like vegetables. And so then Rosario essentially convinces them all to go on the apology tour, which leads Will back to his mom's house. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, Mom, why, why did you tell Paul he had to say and tell me I could go? Like, I, I, I know you don't have favors, but I thought I was your favorite. <laughs> well, the other funny thing is, like, it just keeps the wasp theme going because I don't think she actually explicitly says, like, no, you are my favorite. No. And that's why. Like, no, she, she kind says, of like. Couches it in a riddle, wrapped in a water chestnut. It's like, she says something to the effect of, well, you know I don't have favorites, but if I did, I couldn't, your brother couldn't handle knowing that he wasn't it. Yes. Or something like that. Yes, because she sends him home then. Yes. After they leave, but like. It's just, like, such a... She just, like... It's, like, an episode of Game of Thrones before it turns into just, like, dragons and zombies. Right. So, essentially, what I deduced from this was that she didn't pick Will to stay because she knew that it would upset the brother more to think that Will was the favorite. Yes, like, to prove it. So, yeah. So, to prove that Will wasn't the favorite, even though he clearly is the favorite... Right. She didn't pick him. But also, it kind of seemed like she didn't want any of them there anyway. Yeah, she just wants... It's just a fun, like, button on it. She wants to hang out with Uncle whatever the fuck, who's like, bingo! Because he's high on pain meds. Yeah, I think, like, Mom just wanted a quiet Thanksgiving to herself, and she's like, ugh, my kids are coming. But at least it's not all three of them. Then it would be four martinis for Mommy before dinner. Also, I love the weird running bit that goes through this, where she's like, I put soup in gourd! (laughs) Like, would you fucking watch Martha Stewart? What happened? Like, obviously... Gay identity is not caused by your mother. But if it was. Ooh. If it was. 
Yeah, but I think that there's also definitely a lot that could have but wasn't said, which I think speaks to the waspiness of Will's family mm-hmm. about the gay man and his mother's relationship, mm-hmm. which clearly has a lot of layers like a goddamn onion. Yes. But we just, it's just, it's wasps and you just drink your vodka and you don't address it. Well, and one thing that I kind of came to mind for me as we were talking about these episodes and these different bits, I think it's very telling that the strongest dynamics have come from the two plot lines where we've met these characters before. Like, we know Stan yes. if in silhouette, and we know Debbie Reynolds and Julius and all that. But we don't really know Jack's stepfather, and we don't really know Will's mom or brother that much. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there's no foundation for these plot lines. You know, we're, yeah. we feel like we don't have enough time with them. Like, we need more time to understand this. Like, if we'd met Jack's stepfather before, and we'd already had this fight about being distant and now wanting to be closer, doing it again would bring that up better. You know what I mean? Yeah. And meeting Will's mom for the first time and his other brother for the first time, like, we know kind of how his family is, but we've never seen them. Yeah. And that really changes things. Like, we need more time with those characters to have the same level of catharsis when they go on their apology tour. Yeah. So, for what that's worth. All right. Awesome. Well. We did it. We're back from Thanksgiving. Ding! We're (laughs) done. There's no turkey. There's no turkey because Rosario ate it. Poor Rosario. She has the best Thanksgiving, I think. I think so. She just gets to hang out in Will's apartment and eat turkey. Yeah. And isn't that what we all want? To be left alone with a stranger's turkey and just eat the whole thing? I don't even know how one eats an entire turkey. Like, she didn't eat any one of piece the at sides. A time. Like, one piece at a time. Like, there's no potatoes or gravy. <laughs> like, I'm just impressed. She had some vegetables. I don't think she ate them, though. She ate a couple, I think. Mm. Rosario, eat your vegetables. <laughs> this is why you're dead, because you didn't eat enough vegetables. That one time at Thanksgiving, like, 15 years well, she ago. she also ate an entire fucking bird. Like, I can't True. imagine that was great for her arteries. True. Also a good point. All right. I think that's all we have for this week, guys. I think so, too. Uh, before we go, I should tell you where you can find us on the internet. That'd be a great idea, Tess. Um, so if you want to find us, the best place to do that is probably our Twitter page. We are at Not A Couple Show. You can find updates about our episodes, uh, updates about Will and Grace that we will retweet and post for you, and also um, links to our show notes and fun stuff like that if you're looking for us on other places on the interwebs you can find us on facebook on tumblr our show notes are on medium we post this podcast on itunes and podbean and if you want to send us a personal message you can email us at not a couple podcast at gmail.com all right thanks so much for listening to us this week uh we're glad you stuck around for a little bit longer episode and uh we'll be back next week with more will and grace as we get closer to christmas christmas all right, everybody. Thanks again. I'm Matthew. I'm Tess. And it's been not a couple. Bye-bye. This week's episode of Not a Couple was recorded in front of a live studio audience of one cat. Meow. Eliza, get away from that turkey. Wow. This week's episode was brought to you by Rosario's Thanksgiving Babysitting Service. If you've got to run to three to four Thanksgivings and you need someone to watch a bird, take Rosario. She'll watch it, and then eat your turkey.